You guys, welcome to episode 99 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and more importantly not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady. We are here. We are at episode 99. We have one week left. I'm dying. I mean, it, first of all, it's a celebration of me no longer having to talk about it, correct? Like, you're, you're sick of hearing me talk about it. I get it. But next week, it'll all be worth it. I promise you. Something so beautiful is in store and you have no idea and I cannot wait for it. Um, you guys, this is, uh, I don't know what the fuck I thought I was thinking. You're getting this episode a little bit late, either later in the evening or on Friday or, um, Saturday because I bit off the tiniest bit more than I'm able to chew. I, my eyes were bigger than my stomach this week and, I don't know what the fuck I thought I was thinking that I could just like dive into this. Uh, there was no possible way. And I really had to go back and do some sort of re-tinkering with this episode because it just got out of control. Um, it was too long. It was just too long. And I know that like a long podcast episode is great, but it's like when I'm sitting here alone and like talking to you for four straight hours, like it's just ridiculous. It's enough. You know what I mean? There's always too much of a of a of a okay thing. I'm not gonna say a good thing because that's really narcissistic, but there's always too much of something that you enjoy, you know? And like that's just too much. So I and I actually I went back and I kind of re rethought everything and it's a much better episode now than it would have been before. So I'm really excited about it. I'm doing an episode today that you guys have been requesting since like the first week of the podcast. I think this is probably in like the top three couples that people request. Um, there's a couple other ones that I want to talk about during uh, the mailbag episode, but this is like just one of those couples that people bring up a lot and they, it's resonated with a lot of people, especially people of a particular age. Um, if you're around my age or a little bit older, you grew up in uh, a specific time when girls next door was a real hot reality show on television over 10 years ago and uh you guys we're gonna be talking about holly madison and hugh hefner today and i'm sure you can imagine where my uh i guess i could call it frustration you know i pride myself on being a quote completionist and uh the rain man wanted to jump out this week but i had to really push him back in normally i would i would allow myself to be free and just fully immersed but it was like Hugh Hefner is just way too uh he's way too much of a broad stroke you know what I mean it's a lot to just be like here is the story of Hugh Hefner it's just too much uh in the way that I like to do this podcast it's too much I'm not gonna give you like a bunch of bullshit you know that I'm gonna like deep dive and like I said you'll be here for five hours so I narrowed my research down and We'll get into it. We'll talk more. I'll make it make sense here in a minute. But let me just do some quick housekeeping and then we'll talk. So Holly Madison and Hugh Hefner started dating in summer of 2001. They broke up in October of 2008. And we watched this very sort of glossy, strange world version of Holly and Hef's relationship play out on The Girls Next Door. Uh, which went on to become, you know, one of the most iconic reality shows of all time. Um, it made Playboy, you know, an accessible brand to people who would have never really given at the time of day. Um, maybe people who weren't old enough 
to view it or whatever. Um, people, I remember my age, like I was a teenager during this time. And I remember, you know, my fascination with Playboy was all sort of like pop culture. It was like, I just loved, um, I, I liked collecting covers of certain girls. Like I loved, I had like the Anna Nicole and there's a bunch of Playboys that I like used to pride myself on owning. Cause it felt like some like really important relic to have in your possession, especially as a teenager. Um, but Playboy as a whole and like sort of peeking behind the gates, I don't know. It wasn't something me as a teenager, it wasn't that I wasn't interested in it, but it was just not in my like realm. You know what I mean? It was just like, I, this isn't something that I desire because I don't know to desire it. And then Girls Next Door happened and I felt like my eyes were open for the first time. <laughs> um, you know, Holly's time spent in the Playboy Mansion is so interesting because she represents this sort of charge in the brand, right? Like this was a time when Playboy had a shot of adrenaline stabbed into it and it was like its second renaissance. Um, but it was also the end of an era, not only for Hugh Hefner, but for Playboy. Um, you know, Holly and Kendra and Bridget leaving the house was sort of a chapter, definitive chapter ending. It was a, a book closing. It was the end of this really, um, I don't really know what you would call it. It was fun. It was, it was dark. You know, it was confusing. And let me just start by saying this. I'm approaching this episode as someone who doesn't view Hugh Hefner as a good or a bad person. Like, I kind of view Hugh Hefner as somebody who maybe is sort of, um, <laughs> He leans towards being a bad person who's done some great things in life. You know what I mean? Like, he doesn't seem like a good guy, <laughs> which we'll get to for sure. And then you'll, like, laugh at the idea of me even saying that he doesn't, quote, seem like a good guy. He's just not a good person. Um, he's a he's a terrible person who's done some great things. I think it's really hard to definitive, definitively give somebody that title of, like, good or bad when they've lived so much. And they've had such a massive sort of thread in the fabric of this country. Um, you know, I've always viewed Hugh Hefner as a product of never being told no and overindulgence, like the most gluttonous, in the most gluttonous, gross way possible. Uh, Queen goddess Gwyneth Paltrow said it best that when you reach a certain level of fame, life's obstacles start to become removed for you and you turn into a monster. And that's coming from somebody who realized at 25, she was just like kind of being a twat. You know what I mean? This is a man who has lived, you know, 90 years, basically being able to do whatever the fuck he wants and like living however he wants and having whoever he wants, never having to really truly suffer any consequence of his behavior endorsing a gluttonous lean in lifestyle. Um, I think that that turns you into a monster. I don't think that Hugh Hefner was born a terrible person, but I think that, you know, life's circumstance gave him this like amazing magical life, but also turned him into a fucking monster. And I also, at the same time, think that he's done some incredible things for a lot of people. So he's very confusing as people should be. Interesting people are confusing. Like you guys know that I don't subscribe to cancel culture because I think that people are complex. And I think that every person who's done something terrible deserves like a, 
every terrible person deserves a, 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 a and at least uh like a look into their past you know what i mean not to say that they can be uh written off you know and what they've done doesn't matter because they've had a past because everybody has a past but like it's worth knowing why a person is terrible you know what i mean where did it come from you're not just born terrible you know um so I'm saying all that to say that my notes are sort of, um, I'm not going to like detail Hugh Hefner's entire fucking life. Like I'm not, I don't know who I think I am sometimes. Like, I don't know what kind of journalist I think I am, like who I'm working for or whatever. Um, but I'm not doing that. So I decided to kind of keep it compact to these, to a specific time in Hugh Hefner's life that I think is very telling of who he is as a person. And that's, in the 50s and 60s, kind of 70s, uh, the inception of this magazine. Um, I think that the beginning of Hugh Hefner's career is the most telling of Hugh Hefner is and who play, when what Playboy stood for as a brand before it became sort of oversaturated in the 80s and 90s. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk about all of the scandals, you know, the sexual scandals that happened at this mansion, the rapes that took place here, um, all of the amazing things he did for uh, the civil rights movement, his feelings towards the LGBTQ community. I mean, I'm just going to get into all of it. Um, so Hugh Hefner was born and raised in Chicago. His dad was an accountant and his mom was a school teacher. Uh, he had a pretty seemingly normal childhood. Um in the mid-40s, he worked as a U.S. Army newspaper... What? <laughs> uh, he worked at a U.S. Army newspaper. He graduated from the University of Illinois. And um, out of college, he got a job as a copywriter for Esquire magazine. Um, but ended up leaving his job when he was denied a... I think it was like a 25-cent raise or something. Um, in 1953, with the help of 45 investors, a $600 loan, and $1,000 from his mom, he launched Playboy. As we all know, the original uh, and first ever Playboy centerfold was Marilyn Monroe. And, the you know, it's funny, like, the foundation which this magazine is based on is, like, this iconic Marilyn Monroe image. And not many people know that Marilyn Monroe never even actually agreed to be in this magazine, and her image was exploited so that Hugh Hefner could sell could sell magazines, basically. I mean, without doing that, the brand would not have taken off. And Marilyn Monroe was just a casualty uh, in this whole thing, of course, because when was she not? Um, the photo that he used of her was actually taken, uh, during a time when she was shooting a calendar. She was poor. She was broke. We'll talk. So in 1949, Marilyn Monroe was broke and agreed to take photos for a photographer named Tom Kelly in exchange for $50. And out of pure desperation, uh, she did it nude. Um, he sold the photos to a company that made calendars and that following year, her career had taken off in a really major way. She starred in two back-to-back uh, -back really big budget movies. Um, one of which being all about Eve, which is one of my all time favorite movies ever. If you've never seen it, you are not living. Um, and then four years later, Hef purchased the photos for $500 and made her his sweetheart of the month, which was what the centerfold was called at the time. 
And uh, Hef never actually even met Marilyn Monroe. Um, he essentially leaked her nude photos to gain publicity for his magazine. Um, and in her memoir, I hate that fucking word. I've been trying to say memoir for two years on this podcast. Like, it just isn't, it isn't in the cards for me. In her, in her memoir uh, by George Barris, she said, I never even received a thank you for all those who made millions off of nude Marilyn Monroe photography. I even had to buy a copy of the magazine to see myself in it. I admitted it was me who posed for that nude calendar, even when the Fox executives became nervous and believed that this would cause the ruination of any films uh, I would appear in and also end any movie career for me. Uh, Marilyn's photos made the magazine a massive success. It sold 53,000 copies at 50 cents each in its first couple weeks. And uh, one of the first major controversial articles to be published in Playboy came in 1955. It was a short science fiction story called The Crooked Man. And uh, it was rejected by Esquire magazine. And Hugh Hefner agreed to publish it in Playboy. And it was this like sort of Twilight Zone story about how wacky the world would be if homosexuals were the majority and straight people were villainized for being straight. And the story received all this massive backlash to the point that Hugh had to, um, you know, respond publicly in the magazine and like actually take out a page to respond to the criticism. Um, He said, if it was wrong to prosecute heterosexuals in a homosexual society, then the reverse should be wrong too. Um, And I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that, you know, Hugh Hefner was somebody who really lived a truly indulgent life in a way that turns you into like a reclusive velvet robe wearing pajamas all day monster. And this was never more clear than in the 60s. Uh, Hugh was, you know, he had this vision of what he thought the world should be and what he thought it meant to be a man and what the future should look like. And he really pushed all of these sort of gluttonous and indulgent uh, sort of lifestyle choices. Like spend as much as you want, you know, we'll all die one day. You know what I mean? Have as much sex as you want. Why deny something that feels good? Love is love. Do as many drugs as you'd like. Be responsible with them. We'll die one day. Drink as much as you want. We'll die one day. Smoke as much as you want. We'll all die. It was very sort of like Edwardian. Like it just was, it was like men just do whatever you want. Fuck everybody. And women are here for your taking. Um, in 1964, he started uh, the Hugh Hefner Foundation, uh, which placed emphasis on civil rights, uh, the First Amendment rights, um, you know, rational sex and drug policies, a.k.a. stop you know, segregating people and let us all fuck each other without going to jail and do drugs as much as we want. Um, he also opened several private key clubs. This is really interesting. That were racially diverse during a time when, you know, it was still taboo for a place to not be segregated. We were like right on the heels of segregation. So it was still really, really murky all over the country. And Hef asked um, Alex Haley, who uh, was the writer of Roots, and uh, he later went on to write the autobiography of Malcolm X. He's iconic. Um, and, and he basically had asked him to interview George Lincoln Rockwell, the founder of the American Nazi Party, for his magazine. And 
The interview took place uh, with a gun on the table. Like, this was, like, some real shit. Like, in the 60s, especially the late 60s, early 70s, Playboy was boundary-pushing in every way possible, in good ways and in bad ways. I don't think that you can definitively say that this magazine was doing good or bad things. I think it was simultaneously doing both. And I think people struggle with that, of whether they should embrace Playboy or denounce it and hate it. And I don't know. I think uh, it's hard to say either way. You know what I mean? Hugh Hefner was a rapist and a misogynistic fuck. And he was also somebody who... Uh, championed uh, the civil rights movement and LGBTQ issues, and it's just really complicated. So my notes are as complicated as I am. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, don't think that I have the answers because I don't. I'm just, I'm just letting you know all the things. Um, and as progressive as Hugh Hefner was in his beliefs when it came to race and homosexuality and abortion rights and sex positivity, uh, he was very openly anti the feminist movement. In 1970, he was quoted saying, Militant feminists are unalterably opposed to the romantic boy-girl society that Playboy promotes. And in 2009, the New York Times posted an article about Hef where they said, To his supporters, Hefner was the great sexual liberator who helped free Americans from puritism and neurosis. To his detractors, including many feminists and social conservatives, he helped set in motion a revolution in sexual attitudes that have objectified and victimized countless women and promoted an immoral, whatever-feels-good approach to life. And, you know, the really complicated thing is that, yes, like, both of those things are true. Like I said, Hugh Hefner is a really complicated person. And it's like, on one, half, on one hand, you have this man who promoted abortion rights in the 60s way before, I mean, 10 years before Roe v. Roe v. Wade. And, uh, you know, he was constantly fighting for the gay community to be seen as equal and to stop being villainized. Um, he was an advocate for marriage equality. He helped, he ironically helped rape, helped build rape crisis centers. Um, he interviewed Malcolm X and Martin Luther King for his magazine during the peak of the civil rights movement. You know, he organized jazz festivals in Chicago and donated the first day's ticket sales to the NAACP. And then on the other hand, you have this man who viewed the world through a an extremely selfish, narcissistic, self-serving lens and treated women like absolute dog shit. And when I tell you dog shit, it's like a lot of you, unless you've read about Hugh Hefner, you may not know the extent of how far his abuse to women has gone. And I'm going to tell you today. Um, but it's it's a lot more than just putting women in like bathing suits and putting them on magazines and, you know, sticking bunnies, fucking puffy tails to their butts and putting ears on their head. It's like way beyond that. Like this is a sinister man who also had like uh, liberal beliefs, I guess, during a time when that was... Uh, when that was taboo. Uh, when he opened his Playboy clubs, the ones I mentioned earlier, where he, uh, you know, was praised for, you know, opening these like, multicultural establishments, these non-segregated bars. This is really fascinating. Gloria Steinem uh, went undercover as a then unknown journalist and applied for a job at one of his clubs. 
for a magazine exclusive. And she did this two-page spread where she detailed how terribly the women were treated. Uh, she mentioned that the black women were referred to as the chocolate bunnies. She also mentioned that the girls would receive these um, demerits. You had a certain amount of demerits that you could receive before you were terminated. And certain things were like 25 demerits or 10 demerits or whatever. And you would get them for things like chip nail polish, bad makeup, gum chewing, messy hair, um, weight gain. And uh, these were all listed in what they called the bunny Bible. Um, they also weren't allowed to eat in front of any male customer um the club took 50 percent of the first 30 dollars they took in every night and uh they expected to cover they were expected to cover the costs to maintain the playboy look so you know in the very short amount of time that they had not working they were expected to be you know sort of tending to their bodies losing weight you know like primping and pampering themselves to look good for men at this club she was told by several of the girls that the bunny costumes that they were wearing um this was like kind of the first iteration of the of the bunny costume and it had boning in it that was since your waist really small and the boning actually dug into uh nerves in these in the girls hips and backs and it made their legs numb um you know about halfway through their shifts so when Gloria went in the back room, they're like, I don't know, their like dressing room or whatever. She saw all the girls sitting in chairs rubbing Coke bottles on their feet and rubbing their feet on bottles to regain feeling in their legs. Um, the girls were encouraged to stuff their bras, but it was against the rules to use anything plastic based because plastic makes you perspire. Therefore, you'd be losing weight loss in areas that you need it the most, in quotes. Um, one of the girls literally said to Gloria Steinem, he's a real gentleman. He treats you the same way, whether you slept with him or not. And in the 60s, when people really did read Playboy for the articles, there were... So at that time, the liberal feminists applauded the magazine. They loved it. They loved what it stood for. And the radical sort of bra-burning feminists hated it, and they boycotted it, and they wanted Hugh Hefner to die. Um, so Hugh Hefner sent a memo out to his editors of his magazine saying, what I'm interested in is the highly, highly irrational, emotional, kooky trend that feminism has taken in the last couple of years. These chicks are our natural enemy, and there is... Nothing we can say in the pages of Playboy that will convince them that we are not. It is our time to do battle with them, and I think that we can do it. We can win. So Hugh Hefner had officially waged war against uh, the feminist movement and ordered his editors to take down these super feminists that were after him. Um, he hired a female journalist named Susan Brandy, who was this like super conservative, to write an article that would fire at them and would also sort of legitimately include grievances that a woman would feel that other women are facing in this specific time period. And uh, the male editors were divided. The female editors collectively hated the idea. It was just a fucking mess. And uh, Carrie... Pizzo Pizzulo, I think is how you pronounce her name. She literally wrote the book on Playboy. It's called 
uh, Bachelors and Bunnies, The Sexual Politics of Playboy. Um, she said, Hefner really overreacted to those critiques instead of understanding that, yes, the ba- magazine's portrayal of heterosexual feminine beauty uh, and sexuality was problematic. Uh, they certainly could be seen as problematic from a radical feminist perspective. But Playboy just said, no, 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 no. They were fighting the wrong enemy. We're on your side. That's where a lot of this misplaced reputation for anti-feminism came from with Hef. It was from Hefner's overreaction to the radical feminists instead of him focusing on his support for liberal feminism, which was legitimate. He really did support liberal feminists. And if we're going to talk about Hugh Hefner, we have no choice but to mention the staggering amounts of suicides and overdoses from the girls who were featured in this magazine. Um, many people compare Hugh Hefner to Bill Cosby, who we all know now is one of his old-time chums, one of his old pals. And, uh, yeah, um, this is super, super, super dark, like, dark enough that I feel like I need to give a trigger warning. Um, this is, like, really graphic. I'm just letting you know uh, before we go into this. So if there are kids in the room... Wow, my first public disclaimer. We've really reached a milestone in more ways than one. Um, let me just start by saying, well, first of all, we're going to be talking about a woman right now for a few minutes named Linda uh, Marciano, a.k.a. Linda Lovelace. You may may or, may or may not have heard of her. If not, I'm praying for you. I'm actually trying to do an episode on Linda Lovelace. Like, I think that that's going to be a thing we do in the future. Something that I've never told you guys, and you'll take this whatever way you want to take it, I'm just letting you know that I am and always have been obsessed with, like, vintage porn. Specifically, like, there's a specific time period, like, early to mid-70s, like, late 80s, mostly 80s, to the point that in college I actually started collecting vintage porn as, like, relics. Like, I just thought that they were really cool. And, like, to me, the people in those movies were, like, actual celebrities. And I remember, like, the first time that I saw Boogie Nights when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, that's supposed to be so-and-so. Like, I literally knew all the people that the the, the characters in the movie were based on because I had collected, like, I, I to me, they're, like, actual famous people. That's a golden age. It's the sexual revolution. Um, and, like, this is a time, you know... It was a wild time in America where you could go to a movie theater and see Deep Throat in a theater at like nine o'clock at night. Like, you know, it's just so fascinating to me. So Linda Lovelace means a lot to me. I'm obsessed with her story. I'm so fascinated by her. She is one of the most tragic cases, I think, of all time. Um, But anyway, we'll talk about her one day. I promise I'm clearly jazzed about her but anyway so linda wrote a book uh called ordeal um about her life and how she had gotten to where she ended up and she told the story about how her abusive husband his name was chuck trainer he was her pimp and he had basically pimped her out to hef which was something that in the 60s and 70s especially was like uh was something that happened a lot in the 80s too but more specifically in the 70s Hef would get these girls that were being pimped out by these men and they would sort of loan the girls to Hef and he would kind of do whatever he wanted with them in his mansion, put them in the magazine, take nude photos of them, video them, you know, let other men borrow them, rape them, 
all kinds of shit. He would do whatever he wanted. It was very common at the mansion at this time. Um, so after Hef had seen Deep Throat, he became obsessed with this girl. He raved about her in his magazine and said that she was the face of the sexual revolution. So when they arrived at the Playboy Mansion, he told her that he liked uh, he liked the movie Deep Throat, but was more fascinated by a movie that she was forced to star in, literally beaten and held at gunpoint to star in, where she was forced to have sex with a dog. I'm not kidding. It's an infamous thing. If you know anything about Linda Lovelace, if you saw the Linda Lovelace story with Amanda Seyfried, you know this is a thing. That she was forced to have sex with a dog several times. Not just one film, several films. This guy would tell her all the time, if you don't do what, I'm, what I tell you to do. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So, go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos. At that point, you will uh, be asked to donate. And then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week you'll get liz bentley's feathers in my hair which is the teen mom podcast um you'll get me and molly's uh, britney and kevin chaotic special you'll get all the stuff that molly does exclusively through patreon it's well worth it and also if you're not a member of our facebook group go to molly and the psychos.com it'll take you straight to it and uh all we do all day and all night is talk about reality tv it's super fun so, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.